podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? Hello everybody and welcome. It is a bittersweet face-off fan reaction. It is the final game of the season that we are reviewing and that means this is the last time the season fan reaction in particular is going to be with you. However, a very big result for the Reds. This game meant quite a lot and the Reds did not disappoint. With me to discuss the game, I've got my co-host as always. How are you keeping, Tadiwa? Yeah, not too bad. Obviously, a bit of a sad, somber day being the last one. It feels like I just started yep. <laughs> uh, doing these pods. <laughs> no, cool, but there will be there will be other face of pods, so you know, uh, don't sweat. We we will get around to doing something in the off season today. We're not too worry. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And uh, our position fan, we welcome back a very warm welcome back to Kieran Maguire, our Brighton fan. How are you, Kieran? I'm very good, thanks, guys. I'm uh, remarkably cheerful, given what I had to uh, watch yesterday at Anfield. So uh, all all is good within in uh, my part of the world. Yeah, let's let's start talking about it right away, Kieran, because uh, Chris Hutton made quite a lot of changes. But I mean, talk about the result. Do you do you care as such? <laughs> Uh, we, we sort of cared in the sense that we didn't want to disgrace ourselves and for, for a side of our size, it's actually quite important to finish a little bit further up the division because it's worth around about £2 million per place. So mm-hmm. we, we were hoping to get a draw, if, if we're perfectly frank, because we knew that, that would suit the Reds and that would be worth an extra four to £6 million for the Albion as well. Um, and, and then the match started, and we were just battered for 90 minutes. Uh, and, and quite frankly, we were, we were lucky to to keep it down to four. So, yeah, it was it was a good day out. No, nobody was upset at the end, and, and uh, all, all the Liverpool players had a, had a great uh, send off before they go to Kiev. So everybody was happy. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that as well, Kieran. There's, there, there, and I'm asking you about this later as well. The relationship of the fans with the team and the manager and so on, but. There does seem to be a wonderful togetherness at Brighton. And I, I, one of the nice things is I, I quite appreciated when reading through various Brighton fan forums that um, Albion fans just don't seem to be pulling up this rhetoric of, um, oh, you know, the lads are already sort of on holiday. It, it, that was forgiven. It, it's been a tough season. It's been a really long season. You guys have been through a hell of a lot and achieved your main goal, which is a massive, massive one. There seems to be a huge recognition of that. Absolutely. At, at the start of the season, yeah, you know, the mantra was 17th, 17th, 17th. Anything beyond that is a bonus. Um, and, and we started off poorly. Uh, you know, we, we lost the first couple of games and the golfing class between, uh, us coming up from the championship for the, from the first time to the Premier League was very clear. And, and then we settled into a bit of a rhythm. Um, you know, there, there were long periods of not getting victories. Uh, interspersed with beating Arsenal and then beating Manchester United 10 days ago, which, to be honest, we, we're still sort of floating on air following mm-hmm. that result. Um, and therefore, you know, going to the Etihad on Wednesday night and, and Anfield the following Sunday, we, we didn't really care too much. Yeah, we, we'd achieved the objective. Uh, if we picked up a point, that was a bonus. But actually, Liverpool and City were without doubt the two best teams we played this season, so it was no disgrace to be defeated at uh, both of those uh, both of those matches. Yeah, onto onto the Liverpool perspective, Tadiwa, for you, we did care about the result. It was a bit hairy. Team's not been in the best of form in the in the league um, going into this game. So in fact, in all competition across the last four or five, uh, what was your reaction to the result? It was a sigh of relief, actually, because. It felt weird going into that game knowing we only needed a draw. I was expecting Chelsea to be, you know, beating Huddersfield and us needing to, to pull off a win against a, a Brighton team that had already survived and done so well to, uh, to stay up the season. And 
it, it, it felt like the typical Liverpool thing to do would be we have to win on the final day. But it was it was quite it was it was more of a relaxed feeling I felt going into this one, having seen what uh, David Bagner and Huddersfield did on um, over the week. So I thought it 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 was a game that then suited both sets of fans. I think it both teams. I think uh, Chris Hutton, he's been a credit to both Brighton and and himself. This season, the Brighton fans have been fantastic. I was in Brighton back in January, I think it was, and there it's a, you know it's a lovely place. Um, everyone was friendly. It's it's very it felt very homey. So I've 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 now grown sort of a side side affection for Brighton itself, and then obviously the manager himself, being a manager of colour, um, it's it's. He's sort of uh, waving the flag for for all the other managers, you know, the Sol Campbells and stuff that have been raising a few issues. So it, it just feels like Brighton has been a feel good story for me, and I, I would have hated to go into this one, you know, sort of despising Brighton or wanting to really put the sword to Brighton. Um, I, I was happy with the fact that both sets of fans were sort of in a in a jovial mood, and uh, look the 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 game played out the way it did. I, I think, unfortunately for Brighton, they they're just one of those teams that we seem to to really know how to play against. Um, I think it, when we played them last time as well, I think it, it's just one of those where it, it played a little bit into our hands. So, you know, it, it's unfortunate for them with the in terms of the scoreline, and then obviously for us, we were now trying to build as much confidence as we could heading into. The Champions League final, but in terms of the the day itself, it was a lovely day out. The sun was out, everyone was happy. Um, Brighton, all credit to them. I thought they did fantastic to stay up, and you know, staying in the Premier League, no one has a right to stay in the Premier League, as as we saw, sort of like Southampton, um, they they just uh, stayed up. Where at the beginning of the season, we was probably looking at Southampton and saying, you know, top of the, you know, top half. Of the Premier League, so there's no team that's guaranteed staying in the Premier League. So you can never take anything away from any team that stays up, especially considering um, where Brighton have come from. And I, I was just happy to see them playing. Uh, I know a couple of their players; it's the first time they're even playing at Anfield, so that must have been an occasion for them as well. And it's not anything to belittle them or anything like that. They deserve to be here and. It was good for our players also to then get those minutes under their belt, get that important week break. Um, I think unfortunately for Brighton, they had sort of three games in seven days, whereas we had, you know, a, a whole week to prepare for them. So I think our players were a bit more fresh than theirs. Um, that may have played a factor, but all, all in all, I think it's a good day for both sets of fans. Maybe for Brighton, slightly the score, they wouldn't have, you know, liked it to have been that high. But in terms of it, it's it's about the bigger picture, and they've they've done so well this season. Mm. And if we abstract for, for especially your last four games of the season, Kieran, it's just been a horrible <laughs> end ride. And I'm sure when you guys were looking at that in the beginning of the season, just hoping that everything would be secured before then, if if at all possible. I mean, the rhetoric from yesterday's game sort of feels uh, like a lot of the news out of. Um, out of the club and, and the fans around the club is that Liverpool might have been just too good for, for, you know, for this particular game. But I mean, we also have to take into account what Chris Hutton was saying, which is like, it's just such an intense ending of the season. There was so much you guys had to do right at the end there. You, you sort of, um, you just sort of feel for the players a little bit in that respect. Absolutely. I think the players have run themselves ragged this season, uh, because in the majority of the matches when we've been playing the bigger clubs, We've had a small amount of possession, so therefore what our, effectively our, our back eight are doing are moving from side to side, chasing down the line, trying to get blocks in. If, if you take a look at our centre half, Shane Duffy, he's got the highest number of headed clearances, the highest number of clearances, the highest number of blocks in the Premier League, and that's his job. He is a wall. Yeah, it's a, a one man blue and white striped wall. And, and the players were exhausted. Um, when we when we played at the Etihad last Wednesday, it was it was frightening. And one thing I I found quite revealing was, without doubt, City and Liverpool are 
the two most entertaining sides in that division. But the contrast between the way that they play with Liverpool is, is far more direct, you know, far, far more long balls, di- diagonals, you know, trying to find the, uh, the, the wide men all the time. Whereas City, it is very, very, it's slow, slow, quick, quick, slow build up, but you can't get near them in terms of uh, gaining possession. Uh, which meant that our players were exhausted from Wednesday night. No excuse for yesterday. You know, Liverpool uh, thoroughly deserved to win. And sometimes you come away from a defeat and you feel slightly resentful. And, and sometimes you, you just have to accept you'd a bit of a schooling. And, and that's what happened yesterday. So we're delighted to have the points in the bag. Um, we're delighted to have beaten United and Arsenal and drawn with Spurs in, in the last three home games as well. So, you know, we're... We're we're perfectly happy, and it's now sort of the the excitement starts to build because the the transfer window opens on Friday, and and what's going to happen then? Mm-hmm. For Liverpool, in that respect, that you are we've had a week's rest since the previous game, as you've mentioned, it seemed a little bit like the Liverpool intensity was back. We weren't slipping in concentration as much, and weren't receding and sort of allowing an opposition some time to recover and get back on the ball and and maintain you know to gain some control because we were from what it looked like to me just too tired to be able to carry on for 90 minutes to do Jurgen Klopp's um version of of the system you know which is just sort of all intensity all the time is, is that what it felt like to you are you happy that the intensity is back oh yeah definitely especially considering what's to come in the next i don't know 10 or so days whenever the final is um, I think it was important for the players themselves to put out a performance, you know, to, to not, not only to get the confidence going for the final, but also to sort of as a celebration, as a thank you to the fans, as a, you know, and then it's reciprocal from the fans saying thank you to the players. So it was sort of like, it felt like a showcase of what the season has been and what it's meant to both the fans and the players. And of course that, that week was very, very vital. If you, if you go back one week, if you look at the likes of Salah, um, a, a few of the other players as well in midfield, the, the Milners, the Hendersons, they've played a lot of football over the last, let's say six weeks. So that week I think was very invaluable for them. They needed that sort of rejuvenation and it, it, it was something that was an, an issue maybe last season, a little bit this season as well, in that um, we play a lot better when we've had a week to prepare. And even even Klopp, Klopp himself has sort of, you know, insinuated that he likes that, that week to sort of prepare the players to execute a specific game plan. And when you have a manager like that, that's very, you know, it's, it's easy to say, and I, I always find it funny how pundits like to say, Oh, you know, the likes of Klopp and Pep, they, they let their players play with such freedom. You know, their attackers have such freedom. But if you actually break down the type of football, um, that maybe a, a Man City or a Liverpool play, there's a lot of intent in that quote unquote freedom that is given. You know, um, the movement, the counter attacks, the, the runs, you can see it's, it's coming from the training ground. If you look at the patterns of the runs that are being made, yes, then comes the, relationship that the players have and the intelligence to move into the spaces but it's all based on um, drills and, and tactics that have been made so I think having that week to sort of prepare for Brighton and uh, as has been mentioned before Brighton had two very grueling physical games prior to playing us um, it sort of fell into our hands I felt a little bit because um, Liverpool's not really the team you want to be playing if, if you're not at a hundred percent because we will make you run and we like to run ourselves too. So it's sort of like a catch us if you can type mentality. So, um, it, it's good for the, for the morale boosting of the team. You look at Real Madrid, they've also had a couple of wins. They've played well recently. So, um, we got vital minutes for some of the players that we, we're looking to, you know, we might be looking at on the bench um, for the final, sort of the Lalanas and stuff like that. They mm. they got some vital minutes. So all round, no injuries, a win, uh, you know, a send off to Kiev. They, you can't really complain too much. 
Mm. I'm not really going to talk about any of the individual gold, but related to what you're saying today, well, I'll keep it with you, is I think somebody we have to just mention specifically is Dom Solanke, who comes into this, who came into the game, I should rather say, with a sort of bit of a cloud around him. There's a lot of talk on LFC Twitter. Is he good enough? Um, which, I, you know, it, it's interesting because he's such a young kid and, you know, he's come in. Maybe the expectation and how he came in was, was a bit much. Maybe the story that we are told around his role in the team and especially going forward might have been, uh, you know, not, not ideal to see his development and, and what he's doing this season sort of. And I thought it was a bit, you know, encapsulated in his sort of play. I sort of felt that when he started, there was a lot of nervousness. It's sort of difficult being in a starting lineup while you're a striker and our front three are still on the pitch. Um, but I thought he sort of, if not grew into the game, sort of got used to the pace and and came into himself a little bit. He took his goal really well, and even if I, you know, I thought he faded away, but I thought he had a really good game, and that's a sort of glimpse, if if not to the quality of his ability to keep going, his ability to adjust to a situation, and maybe an indication that sort of if he's given more time into the future, little by little, he will develop and he will become a player that we can find um, useful across. You know, whichever quality ranking, if, if maybe he's not going to be a top, top player, as, as Ferguson says, maybe he is, but maybe he's be good enough for the squad. And I don't think that performance would have sort of done his reputation any wrong whatsoever. Yeah. With regards to Dom Solanke, um, I think it was a very satisfying performance for him. And as, as you mentioned earlier, he, did struggle at the beginning. I think he was thinking a bit too much about what he was trying to do. He wasn't necessarily playing with instinct. And I think playing in that uh, in that environment with that front three, so to speak, him being the fourth, you need to be playing on instinct a lot more than overthinking things. So I think he did eventually start growing into it. And you could see with the he had a few flicks and touches and he was carrying the ball well. I think on paper, um, I, did, I know they did write it sort of as a 4-2-3-1 formation, but on the field, it seemed more like quite a fluid 4-2-4 sort of system where Firmino was, Firmino may have had the, the free role, but he was sticking as close to Solanke as possible when, when he was in the middle. And I think that's where Solanke might be thriving a lot more is where he's got someone in and around him where he can play off of. Whereas if you looked in the past few weeks when he has started, it seemed to be a more 4-3-3 with Ings definitely playing sort of as a right winger opposed to maybe helping him up front a bit more. So credit to him. Um, I think he took his goal very, very well. He, But prior to that goal, he had an assist for Salah with, with a lovely flick and... He has to be happy with it. Uh, being a young player, I think you're going to get games where he's going to play ridiculously well, as well as having those days where he's going to be off. I think that's just that's just inherent with young players. They're not going to have that consistency. In terms of his long-term future, um, on a personal level, uh, I haven't, I, I don't feel like he is at that level of a Liverpool starter, so to speak, or having the ceiling of getting there. But what I do think he, he has and what I think he offered us yesterday is something, something for us to think about in the sense of if we need someone who's great at playing off of players, getting the ball, you know, drilled to his feet, he can take quick touches, you know, um, play, sort of play passes off the one touch and sort of spin away from his defender, carry the ball, big strong guy. I think he can be a very good option. I do still feel he needs that sort of season on loan where he, he's able to, to play week in, week out, get a bit more accustomed to the, the Premier League. I do think he would be able to get a Premier League loan. I don't know if they would want to necessarily let him go out on loan to, let's say, the Championship or something. I think the Premier League, where he's playing week in, week out, relatively week in, week out. And obviously it wasn't going to happen this season, as we've mentioned before on this podcast. Klopp doesn't like to, he, he doesn't really like the loan system. So if he's learning you out, he, either he, he no longer has use for you or he's learning you out with a specific intent of 
I've given you sort of, let's say, a year's training, like what's happened with Solanke now. He's had a year to train under Klopp. He knows what Klopp is expecting from him. Whereas if he had gone out alone a bit too early, then he wouldn't necessarily, he would just be going out and playing sort of his own game and not molding it according to how Klopp would have wanted him to. And when you then come back into the team, you're playing at a completely different, you know, tempo, style, flow to the team that you're coming back to. So I think next year will be very important for him because I'm assuming you'll go out alone. That loan period is going to be crucial in determining whether he does have a future, you know, going forward at Liverpool. All right. All right. Well, yeah, no, I, I sort of dis- disagree a little bit in terms of I think Jurgen Klopp might be a little bit open to using the loan system a little bit differently, but uh, that is only going to be sort of um, proved, I think, over the next year or so. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah. I want to change gears a little bit. Kieran, I've been waiting to ask you this the entire time. But essentially, like, just try and put into words just how massive was it for Brighton Hove Albion to keep the Premier League status? I mean, what, you know, what did it mean? Um, it, it was absolutely essential because having made an awful lot of progress, uh, to, to get there in the first place and, and we have been knocking on the door for the last four or five seasons and that we were, we'd lost in the playoffs in three occasions in four years um, to have finally achieved the the ambition of the chairman and we're very lucky that we've got a a local guy who's who's bought into the club he's he spent 300 million pounds on the stadium on the training facilities on um, bringing putting together that squad that it wasn't immediately squandered um, it, it's also um, a, a sign of faith in the players who uh, we, we turned down an awful lot of offers when, in, in our final year in the championship for some of our better players, such as Knockart and Duncan Stevens. And I, I think it was it, it's good from their point of view to know that not only have they managed to play in the Premier League, but they've managed to establish themselves as well. Uh, I mean, Lewis Dunk was in the, the BBC uh, Best eleven. Uh, of the season, uh, which was announced today. So you know, th- there's, there's a lot of positives. Um, and from, and also from the chairman's point of view, he's, he's not having to write out a huge check every week to subsidize the wages and the running costs of the club. So uh, from ev- everybody from the, the guy that owns the club down to the tea lady, um, we're, oh, yeah, I'm delighted for them. And, and from my point of view as a fan, and, I, and I've, I've watched the Albion in all four divisions for, you know, 30, 40 years. It's, it's nice to, have not just been there for just just an air shot um, and, mm. and then disappear mm. without trace. Um, I, I think next year is going to be harder. I, I, I did think it was a poor division uh, in the Premier League this season, from from my observations and the fact that the, the one of the sides, the, the best side that got relegated, went down with with thirty three points. So you could have survived with thirty four. It is testament just to how to how weak a division is. Um, I think it's going to be tougher next season. Wolverhampton Wanderers have got an awful lot of Chinese money behind them. Um, Cardiff don't look the greatest of teams, but they'll be well organised. Um, and, and there's the likes potentially of Villa and Fulham, who are very well supported by their owners coming up as well. So I think we were, we were fortunate in a way that it was not the greatest of Premier Leagues um, this this year. Um, and I'm more than happy for that to be the case. Um, but I think we're going to find it tougher next year. Interesting, and I will ask you a little bit more about that. Uh, to deal with from a Reds perspective, how important is it, same type of question, to secure Champions League football before the actual final? Uh, it allows the players to sort of play, I think, with a bit more, not necessarily freedom, but w- we know our players have in the past struggled with the mental side of the game. So you don't want to be putting, you know, obviously the Champions it's a big pressure, but I think having that added pressure of, guys, we have to win this or we're completely out of the competition you know, going into next season, I think that might have played quite a big factor for the players. And then also, I think coming off of, let's say maybe if we had lost and Chelsea had won and Chelsea had snuck into, well, not, you can't say snuck, snuck in over a 38 game season, but if Chelsea had then got top four instead of us, I can just imagine what would have happened to the psyche of the players going into now, you know, play this giant club that is Real Madrid. So I think it, it, it was important for the players um, in terms of confidence. And it's also validation for Klopp. Um, I, I, I've, I've mentioned, I think it was last week maybe, or I may have been 
mentioning it on Twitter in the sense that for Klopp, this is vindication of valid, um, and he's valid, valid, uh, it's been vindication and he's been able to prove that he's, he knows what he's doing in the sense of when Coutinho was sold. Um, I, I was one of the big doubters in that, uh, we still needed to replace his quality. Not necessarily that you should keep Coutinho because obviously off the field there were issues there. But in terms of the quality of the player that we were losing, I thought we might, we might have left ourselves a bit short there. And I thought it was very, very risky if injury to one of the, the front three we wouldn't have had a, a direct replacement instead of quality. But Klopp's, you know, he's seen through that and he took the calculated gamble and credit to him and the transfer committee, the board, the FSG, the players, the staff involved. Um, they've all been able to then pull it off and still get top four despite, you know, what everyone else would have been saying, sort of the armchair critics that we are. And then also in terms of getting it back to back, I think that is such a massive thing for a club like us because, you know, yes, we, we, we see ourselves as being one of the elite clubs in Europe, but we have to face the facts in the sense that this is the first time we've done back to back, you know, top four finishes since I think it was about 2009, maybe, mm. um, under Rafa Benitez. So we have to, we have to take into that into consideration in the sense that we haven't done back to back top fours in quite a long time. This is a big step in now solidifying who we are as a club and also the type of players we're attracting. If you make Champions League once, sure, you can get maybe some of the up and comers, some of the guys that see you, see it as sort of like a platform, you know, maybe I can showcase myself for a year and then if, they kicked out of Champions League, at least I would have had that platform to then move on from them. But if you're now becoming a consistent top four side, the type of player you're looking at is completely different. And also the type of players that want to come to you are now, you know, you sort of go up um, a notch or a level in, in terms of that. And I think that's vitally important for us, not just in terms of transfer, but also financially. Because as we know, we're not one of the let's say the oil clubs or the likes of, let's say, for example, you know, Man United, we do still need to take into account the financial side of it and the financial benefits of having back-to-back top four finishes. It's very invaluable for what we're trying to do as a club and what Klopp has tried to do um, moving forward. And I think having done top four as well with a Champions League final, I, I don't know if anyone would have guessed, you know, that at the beginning of the season. I was happy with just getting top four again, you know, stabilizing the the club as a top four club. Mm. Then next season we could look to maybe keep top four and get a trophy. That that was sort of the that that I think that would have been a reasonable, you know, gradual improvement that you could have expected. But to then go on and secure top four and still have something to play for after the season is is well and and above what any of us would have expected, and then now it's just for them to go over that line, um, in terms of winning that trophy. If they, oh, you can't even imagine how important that trophy is, not only for the players because our players, you know, in terms of trophies, you can count on one hand how many of our players have actually won, you know, major trophies in our team, and how how their mentality would be walking into next season, being you know the champions of Europe, it, it's a completely different thing. And then furthermore on Klopp, I think there's actually quite a lot of pressure on Klopp for this final, considering he's lost sort of, I think the last five finals he's been in. So he need, he kind of needs this, um, this final to sort of just get that, that monkey off his back of, yes, I can, you know, I can go that final step. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, Kieran, Today we're talking about, amongst other things, like just uh, sort of the journey and and how everybody sort of you know gone along together. It's sort of like a partnership. And let's talk of, about one of the cogs of that partnership now. Um, you guys have had amazing home form this season, and I've also read, been reading you, you, you sort of record attendances this season for the club. What role have the fans played in the keeping within the Premier League and in the success of this season for Brighton? I, I think fans, if, if we're honest, fans make 1% at most um, in, in terms of supporting the club, getting behind the players, 
uh, interactions with social media, not getting on their backs and things of that nature. I, th- I think we've got to be honest enough to admit that we, we like to think that we make a big difference. Um, but the this issue of home form is, is, is a very strange one. Our home form kept us in the division because we we had the fewest number of points away from home of any team in the Premier League. Uh, but I think we're sort of the ninth or seventh in in terms of, of home points. Uh, it's it, it's it's a good stadium to play in. Um, it, it's a modern stadium. You know, the players are relaxed. There's incredibly good training facilities. And that just does give you a bit of an edge um, from from a from a competitive perspective. Uh, so you know, I, I think think the influence of fans is, is overplayed because if it was only due to the fans, then Newcastle would be in the top four and Liverpool would be in the top four every season. Um, and you know, Manchester City and Arsenal wouldn't because if, if you go to the Etihad or, or the Emirates, and I've been to both these seasons, that they're actually quite quiet grounds. And you could say the same about Old Trafford too. Um, because fans have become accustomed to success. Mm. Um, the, the away support, ironically, is probably being better in terms of the vocality than, than the home support, and, and yet we, we picked up hardly any points. You know, two victories away from home all seasons, uh, not, not something to boast about. Uh, but from, from watching it from a fan's perspective, it, it's been an absolute delight uh, to, to, to see our team that we were watching playing on an athletics track you know, seven years ago, uh, to, to playing in this magnificent stadium and to hosting the likes of Liverpool and Manchester United and Chelsea and City and so on. Uh, so, so it, it's been, it's, it's been a great experience for the fans. Mm-hmm. I, I, I genuinely think that the impact that fans have is slightly overplayed though. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. Just that, I mean, to do, how do you react to that? Because at Liverpool, we've seen in previous seasons, there's been a lot of questioning around the atmosphere. Um, there have been sort of some comments, um, most notably in, in the last few seasons, not so much since Jurgen Klopp has been, but certainly in the seasons before that it feels like Liverpool do the you never walk alone in the beginning, have 90 odd minutes of silence and then to do it again um, in the end. It certainly hasn't been like that this season and we see this with Liverpool, we see this you know, the swings and roundabouts when it comes to the atmosphere and it specifically has to do with how well the team is doing first. It seems you know, that needs to influence um, uh, the fans in, in the stadium. And then when things are not going so well, then we get things like um, uh, there's too many tourist fans, et cetera, et cetera, within it. We've seen a, a very different approach to all that this year. The chance are just going all the time. The way support is absolutely bouncing as always, but the home support is just completely up to up to um, that standard as well. I mean, how has the fr- from you watching from um, from where you are? How has the Liverpool atmosphere been this season? It's a very interesting point that uh, Karen made. Obviously, as a Liverpool fan, we pride ourselves in being that twelfth man. And obviously, there were a few polls that were run. I think it was a couple of months ago, where just saying, you know, other fans voted Liverpool the noisiest fans or the the best at- atmosphere. So I think. As Liverpool, we take, we, we're very proud of that. And I think we, perhaps then maybe we project a lot more than what meets, um, what is actually the case. Because I think if, if you ask any Liverpool fan, they, they would tell you that, you know, that welcome that we gave Man City, the welcome we gave Roma in the Champions League played a, a massive factor as well as the atmosphere we had on those nights. But uh, I, I do get where Karen is coming from in terms of the team still needs to perform on the pitch. You know, whether whether, whether the fans, you know, are, are doing their part as well, I think we, we do overestimate how much of an influence we have. Due to Liverpool, the, the way I saw it was, I think it's to do more with the mentality of, of our players. If you look at the, the likes of Lovren, you know, who is very, very active or was very active on social media. And he had to sort of cut back his social media activity because of, you know, the abuse and, you know, or some of the abuse, we don't want to generalize, but there was some abuse coming from from some of our fans with regards to him, as well as also Klopp seems to feel that the fans need to play their role as well. You know, we've heard in interviews a few times where Klopp has spoken about, um, the fans 
jumping on the players' backs a bit too early in games. You know, if, if it's, let's say, 30 minutes into a game at Anfield and it's still no, no, but it doesn't seem to be working. And you hear those groans and the moans and even further on into games, it's, it's a lot more, it's, it's a lot louder. And you, you can sort of see Klopp gesturing to the, to the players and to the fans, you know, every attempt that is made, he's clapping, he's, you know, um, sort of showing the fans that no, let's clap the effort. Um, don't moan about it because it seems like for our players, if we do start moaning, they, they, they sense to, they seem to feel it. Um, and once again, I'm not sure if then we're projecting that, you know, we want to believe that they feel it, that that's why we, we're so boisterous. But for our players and with the mentality that our players have, it feels like we do play a factor in, in not necessarily how, you know, not necessarily in improving their, you know, abilities that they have, but in improving the mindset that they have, the calm that they would have, you know, to, to keep going. And the biggest manager for this would be uh, Pep Guardiola. It would be interesting to hear, you know, an interview. They've never really given him a platform to do an interview fully on this this aspect. But Pep Guardiola is one of those, like Klopp, where he wants the fans to keep cheering every single attempt that is made, even if it's, you know, the wrong decision or, you know, you you you, you shot the ball into Rose Z. I'm going to applaud the effort and the, the bravery to take that shot because like Klopp, Pep is, is so ingrained in his system and has so much belief in a system that even in the 90th minute, he doesn't want them to be necessarily lobbing the ball forward to a center back. He's going to keep, keep it on the ground, keep passing the ball because the system works and the players need to believe that the system works and the fans need to believe. So maybe it might also then have to do with the type of manager that who and, and how much importance they may place on it. Cause for Klopp, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think he, he kind of expects us to, to do the same. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of the managers there, Kieran, let's talk about that. I'll come back to you today where to talk about Jürgen Klopp in a little bit. But for you guys, Chris Hutton's done just so well. He's, he's been receiving sort of quiet plaudits. I, I definitely feel it should be a lot more, not just for the job he's done, but the manner in which he's gone about it. He just seems to be a, a sort of very decent person in that he is very fair in his commentary. He, he sort of says it how it how it is. Next season's going to be... It's going to be difficult. There's always those um, myths, if you'll have it, whether it's you know so much reality. But the second season for teams staying up or, or who've achieved the success of uh, of the previous season, that seems to weigh a lot, especially in the Premier League. Uh, how much how much favor has Chris Hutton bought, and do you think he'd be able to sort of survive if they they there are one or two uh, sort of pretty bad patches next season, if we can put it that way? Well, we, we did have a bad patch this season um, before Christmas where we went 11 games without a win. And, and there started to be mutterings from idiots because idiots like to mutter. Um, <laughs> from, 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 from That's my... a wonderful thing. <laughs> I like it. Um, you know, when, when Chris Hutton took over the Albion, we were 19th in the championship. Uh, he, he, he steadied the ship and... Yeah, ironically, he, he took over from Sammy Hippier, who who came to us with yeah with mm. a glowing CV as as a as an Anfield legend, and he he'd done he you know, made a very a good impact initially in Germany, and Sammy just could not get us to play the way he wanted to, um, and and it was a completely different style of football to to anything we'd seen before, um, and and it was and it was beyond the capability of the players, and we were in danger of being relegated to the third tier, uh, which would have been quite a hammer blow given that you know we, we've got all the costs of the new stadium and, and you know there have been significant investment in the squad and so on mm. he, he then got us uh, Chris Hutton then got us promoted within two seasons and we we missed out uh, in in 2016 on goal difference uh, and, and then we were, we were promoted in 2017 uh, he is a very measured guy you'll you'll never see him sliding on his knees down the touchline when we score he'll never criticize the players in public he'll never criticize the opposition or the referee he, he's very measured uh he's in my, in my view probably the nicest man in football um in in the sense that he's he's got a uh he's, he's got a moral and an ethical compass which goes far beyond what you normally see in football and you know i'm, I'm quite fortunate you know, I, I i work 
in in football to a degree, and, and I've and I've I've, t- I've taught football managers and football players and so on. And, and the the one thing that they always say to me that when they find out that I'm a Brighton fan is, Chris is such a great guy, and and it's and it's it's always it's it's never you know I, I never ask what they think of him it's always volunteered mm, mm, um and mm. you, you couldn't meet a nicer guy in football um he's completely committed uh he's he works hard on on training and on drilling the players um and if and if you talk to the players they all say yeah he, he comes across as mr nice if, if we step out of line then chris knows how to to deal with it and, and he'll he'll take the the appropriate sanctions so uh, he's he's a nice guy, but there's a core of steel within him as well, um, and, and and I'm just like for him because the more I hear about the guy and uh, and his moral and ethical values, I, I just want to be associated w- with him because mm. uh, he's he's got a core of decency, which, which is which is great to see succeed in in a in a world where there are so many spivs and charlatans in the game. You know, people like Mourinho, who, who's just become a, a pantomime caricature of a, of, a, of a coach these days um, and, and the press are more interested in his pre and post match comments than they are in, in what happens in 90 minutes on of, on uh, on the pitch which given the way United are playing these days you can perhaps understand yeah 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 <laughs> I like all that suddenly for you Tadiwa not that we can say much about Jurgen Klopp he's just been an unmitigated success today I saw a thing going on on Twitter which was you know one of these um who is your favorite player of the season? Who is the best player, most improved, etc., etc.? And the final question was a manager rating. And I saw a lot of people give an A+. I think for myself, I actually wouldn't have given a rating that high because it just feels that there's something more that could come. Uh, an even better sort of managerial performance is in Jurgen Klopp for the following season. There were one or two things I think he's, he's slowly getting better at. Is that the sense you get from it as well? Um, the, I had an interesting point of view earlier today. I was having a discussion with someone and uh, not that I want to bring sort of like a, a negative factor into it or anything like that. But if you look at the trajectory of Klopp, I think this is his third season now at Liverpool mm. and it, it's an upward trajectory. He's It's sort of like now he's stabilized the team and then this is where he's then going to launch, you know, um, us, us to the next level. And obviously winning the, the Champions League plays a big factor in that. It's at this stage, sort of three years in, um, that now he, this is when it's going to be the peak years for Jurgen Klopp. I, I, I see the next two years are, are arguably going to be, you know, you're hoping that it's going to be longer, but looking at the patterns of, um, the, the sort of motivational managers, they they only have a set limited time that they have with the players where everyone has sort of bought into their ideas and it's no longer, you know, re, um, repetitive motivation where the players are now, they've, they've heard it all from, from that type of manager. So in terms of the pattern of, of uh, years that he's had at other clubs and also looking at the style of manager he is and how other managers of his similar style have done, sort of year three, four, five are the peak years where he's really going to try and squeeze as much out of. Uh, so I think that that's why I was saying it's vitally important for him to get this um, Champions League uh, trophy in, in the bag. And obviously it's, it's no, it's no small toss going against uh, back-to-back champions and, uh, you know, the, the type of players that Madrid have. But I think, if you look at the trajectory of the two clubs, Madrid, some people are, you know, saying that their players are starting to get a bit older. Um, they, they're going to have to sort of refresh and replenish their squad going into next season in terms of they need to bring in sort of new blood players that are a bit more hungry now. Some of these players have seen it, seen it all, been there, done it all, you know, so they're going to need new motivations. Whereas Liverpool are sort of at the start of that cycle of where you've, you've, you've not necessarily got everyone who Klopp's might necessarily want in that starting lineup, but the squad is now starting to, you know, portray a Klopp squad. They, they've started to understand his tactics. They've started to embrace what he's trying to do at the club. And going into next season, if he now is a manager that's saying to players, look, 
you know, look look what I've done for the likes of, you know, even Dejan Lovren. Um, when when he played back in October against Spurs, you know that four one where he unfortunately for him he just sort of lost his mind. I I can I can just picture my timeline on Twitter of the amount of people, and I'm pretty sure I was one of them that never wanted to see Dejan Lovren put on a Liverpool shirt, you know, ever again. And to be able to still have trust in a player like that and still have belief in him and encourage him to keep playing and keep being brave, you know. It, it it wouldn't be sort of tell Lovren, okay, stop being that front foot defender. Just just sit back and don't do anything that would expose you. Whereas it seems like Klopp was still encouraging him to keep playing his game, and that's the type of manager he is. Now, if he can bring that atmosphere um, or that that perspective, as well as saying I'm a Champions League winner as well, the the type of now the caliber of player that I think he can bring in. And then bearing in mind what I said at the beginning, where this this will probably be his peak years going forward, the the next two three years, then then you're looking at something truly special and what he can do at Liverpool. Obviously, I'm hoping. I I I I love Klopp. I I like the way he he plays football. I like the way he thinks about football. I'm hoping that you know his good years at Liverpool will be stretched longer than what the the norm of a motivational manager is, but I was just looking at it from a practical perspective. So I think for him moving forward, let's get that monkey off your back, you know, of being able to go that extra mile of getting, getting, actually getting the silverware. Um, even if he doesn't get it this Champions League next season, it's going to be a question again because now he's set, you know, he stabilized the team as a top four team, so to speak. Now people are going to start looking at can you bring the trophies and if he can go into next season already having brought a trophy, I think that also takes a little bit of pressure off him. And then you might see a bit more, you know, um, flair coming out of it. Whereas if, if he ends up being in the situation where like a Mourinho, where Mourinho has to win a trophy every season to justify the type of football he plays. Otherwise, you know, it's all for naught. Um, with Klopp, it's going to get to that point. If he doesn't win a trophy at Liverpool, at some point in time, there's going to be a, you can see Pochettino sort of at that standpoint now at Tottenham, you know, um, where they're starting to look at, okay, but where's the end result? So it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting two years. Let, let's put it that way. It's definitely going to be an interesting two years. And if the pattern holds, it's probably going to be his best two years, which is exciting for us. If you think, you know, two finals in three years, back-to-back top fours, and this isn't even the peak of his powers. You know, what what's to come could be quite, quite exciting, and we better hold on to our seats because he is, you know, heavy metal football, highs and lows. It, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, 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 and, and, and see where it takes us. I mean, and speaking about that, and Kieran, this is the sort of my final question before we, we start to look uh, at wrapping up the pod. But let's look at next season and what Brighton need to do there. There's so much that a club might be tempted to change. Uh, and, and what do you think does need to be changed uh, to improve next season? You know, do, do you guys need a change of approach, uh, perhaps a little bit more aggressive in particular games away from home or, or something like that? Are you, are you going to look at a change in the squad? Um, and maybe we can also touch on which players you think can step up. You know, you've had great performances from the likes of Knockout, Ryan, um, where can the improvement in the squad be, be, uh, be gotten? You can also look at plays like Izquierdo and, and stuff like that. I mean, how do you, how do you see next season going for, for the, the Albion? I think it's a really important summer of recruitment for the side in that we've now got a, a, a core of players, probably seven or eight players who can hold themselves in, in the bottom half of the Premier League. Um, we, we've been, fortunate this season that, that Glenn Murray's scored a dozen goals and he's a very old-fashioned centre forward but he's he could be 35 next season somebody's going to need to replace him um, now from what we've seen of Lacardia who's our record signing and he started the match yesterday and, and he didn't didn't get a get a see seeing into the ball for, for the hour that he was on he, he's a he, he's an unknown um, I, so I think certainly we need another striker um, as you probably saw the way that you know, the Reds were rampaging down the wings, our, our fullbacks got roasted. So I think that's another area that we need to improve. And I think that those could be the areas that the club will probably focus on. Um, and, and if they do that, then perhaps we can play a slightly more expansive 
form of football when we're against those other sides who who are going to be our peer group uh, mm. in terms of trying to avoid relegation. And, and that's our objective next season. So, you know, we start off aiming for 17th. This year, it was 15th and a quarter final in the FA Cup. Yeah, that's that's fantastic from our point of view. Uh, Chris Hughton, by his very nature, is, is a cautious guy. Um, and I don't expect to see the... the, the the, the two central midfield players who who we, we've not scored a goal from central midfield for the whole of the season, which is okay. uh, sort of t- testament to the way that they that they both screen the defence. So that's their role. They don't break into the opposing box very often, but that that comes at a cost. Yeah, you know, we we scored thirty five goals in thirty eight games. It w- it would be nice to get a few more, but but if if that if that more expansive football comes at the cost of being a, a greater risk for relegation. It's not not a prepared. It's not a step I'd be prepared to take, and, and I can't see the, the club hierarchy being willing to take it either. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. On that striker note, uh, do you guys reckon you're going to keep uh, Joao at the club? He wants to stay because he. I mean, one of the great things about being in Brighton is that it's one of the best places in the country. To I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it's got it's got the only green. Uh, Member of Parliament in the country. It's very bohemian. Uh, you know, it's it's got fantastic countryside around it. it you know, the, there's the sea and the pier and all of the history. So, football players like coming there. Uh, and Leo, who who started in England with the Albion, has has said that he wants to come back. And you know, then he's he you know, he's a guy that won the the Premier League with Leicester only a couple of years ago. So that's mm. that sort of testament to his his affection for the place. Is he going to improve? what we have this season um the, the answer is no you know i i saw him play a few games and he, he was he was okay i think would i like him to be in the 25 50 50 um would i like to see him starting every match no because he, he if, I'm, if i'm brutally honest he, he's not going to get the dozen goals that we need from from a, from a striker we are dependent upon you know, that person coming up with a significant proportion of our goals. Uh, we were very fortunate this season. Pascal Gross is probably the, the the bargain signing of the Premier League in what he's delivered. Um, the chances of unearthing another diamond like that are, are fairly remote. All right. I think Tadiwa has got a, a bit of a question for you there, Kieran, on the striker, uh, on your striking options. Yeah, Kieran, I was just curious. Would you guys take a Dom Solanke? I know we've spoken about how we're looking to loan him out possibly next season. Um, possibly. We, we took Izzy Brown this season from Chelsea, who was sort of broadly signed as the, as, as the man to, to, to sort of play that number 10 role, to play a slightly more deep lying role. Um, and Izzy got injured, um, and, and has missed most of the season with, uh, with a cruciate. Um, Solanke would be a possible, I'd, I'd actually prefer Danny Ings because I think he's more of the, the style of striker who would, flourish at the Albion uh, I mean I, I did a piece for uh, this is Anfield last week and, and they said which of the Liverpool players would you most like at Brighton and I'd said well it, it wouldn't be Mo Salah because we're not good enough for him uh, you know he's he's a man that is is fortunate to have so much so many players around him who are creating space which allow him to flourish um, and I'd have probably gone for Firmino because he he is that traditional centre forward whom is is going to benefit most from Knockhart and Izquierdo on the wings. So I'm not sure that Solanke could be that player who's going to get lots of headed chances um, and sort of tap-ins at the far post after the wingers have, have created the space. Glenn Murray works incredibly hard and he chases down defenders and also he's He's a nuisance. You know, he knows all the tricks of the trade, and I'm um, I'm not convinced that Dom knows those yet. So, so therefore, mm. he could be bullied um, by centre halves in that division if he's not got somebody alongside him who who knows the ropes and, and knows knows the dirty tricks. That's really mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tadewa, from a Liverpool perspective, similar type of question. Looking across the options in our squad, there's a number of people out on the fringes. We've had a few out on loan. Um, you know, you can say Wilson and Gruwich, for example. We can look at Woodburn. Uh, obviously, there's Dom Solanke and, uh, and Ings has come back from injury. Uh, do you think there are a couple there who might, you know, be in that squad? Uh, if we look at the sort of the, the, the sort of uh, 15 or, 
or whatever for the match day, you know, the match day squad in essence. Do you think any of those players make the step up for next season? Um, I think it's going to be quite interesting considering what we're all assuming is going to be a, a transfer window where Klopp is just going for players that would possibly be, you know, a starting lineup players. So that then makes a domino effect in that then the starting players then become the bench players. And then now what, what happens to the guys that are on the bench now? And if you look at the likes of, maybe if we go up top, if you look at the likes of Ings and Solanke, um, as mentioned before, and as Karen was mentioning, uh, Ings, I would imagine that we're going to field quite a lot of in, inquiries with regards to him. Whether or not Klopp sees him staying, I think that's going to depend on Ings himself, on if he's satisfied with the amount of minutes Klopp is sort of going to plan out for him. And, you know, he would then ha- not have the pressure of being a World Cup year. I think that was one of the driving forces of Sturridge wanting to go out on loan. You know, he wasn't getting enough minutes. Whereas this season, you know, the, the World Cup would have already happened. And considering we're going to be maybe looking to uh, challenge on all fronts, not necessarily maybe all four trophies, but maybe looking at two two um, two trophies in the sense of, you know, a cup run and trying to go for the league, there are going to be minutes for sort of a backup striker, but you can take the picking Solanke, um, Origi is also there. Um, whether any of them are still going to be at the club to be challenging as a backup striker, uh, I, I don't think Solanke is ready. I think he does need a, a season out on loan just to sort of find himself a bit. He, he, as I mentioned, he's learned under Klopp for a year. He knows what Klopp is going to be looking out for. So he, he will have that freedom to go out on loan and try and execute the things that he has learned this season. Uh, with regards to Ings, I think Ings might be willing to be a bit part player in, in a season where he's going to get lots of chances considering, um, how I can see our season planning out next season. With regards to a loan, the thing is, it's, it's going to be up to Ings as well. I think, uh, Klopp is very big on you, you know, buying into his plan, buying into the season, buying into his philosophy. And, you know, he's not going to fall short of, of having offers. He's going to have offers all over the Premier League, I feel. And it's going to be up to him. I think Klopp will put it to him to say, you know, these are the minutes that you're going to get. Do you think it's enough for you? And then he's going to then make the decision. With regards to Origi, uh, he's been in Germany. He hasn't, you know, blown up as much as maybe we would have wanted him to. I mean, playing in a Wolfsburg squad that was kind of struggling a bit this season as well. Um, also with regards to their manager, there were a bit of issues there. I think personally, I would take him back. Um, I, I wouldn't mind him being a backup striker. He's shown back-to-back seasons at Liverpool that he can score double digits and goals. But that that's on a personal level. With regards to whether Klopp trusts him or not, if Klopp doesn't feel he can trust him, then I'd rather we, you know, either loan him out for another season or or look to sell him. So these days or doesn't, it's really not going to affect me too much. With regards to the the young the younger guys, uh, Ben Woodburn, Wilson, it will be curious to to hear or maybe see how frustrated Ben Woodburn was with this season. He was in and around the first team for the majority of the season, but I think he only played about two games for the senior squad. Will he feel that is enough? Will he be expecting a bit more? Um, will he even push for for a loan move? These are questions that I'm sure he's going to have to to ask. Uh, in terms of if he's good enough. I do think he, I still think he's still very young. And if you look at uh, the football philosophy that clubs come from, from German football, where the 17-year-olds and so, they're not expected to be starting. They've got, you know, football until sort of like under 23 levels when then they'll start introducing you to, you know, playing heavy minutes in the first season. I think for them, they think it's justified. They think it's normal. Whereas English football... We have this, you know, um, if he's, if he's good enough, he's old enough. And I, I don't know if that's to our detriment because you can see a lot of our players sort of fall off by the time they're 30 years old. They no longer can run because they're burnt out. Um, so maybe it's, it's looking to see if Klopp is able to convince him that, you know, just be patient, just be patient. It will all come good. You're, tr- 
you know, he's got the best training in terms of he's training with that front three week in, week out. And he might not necessarily be, you know, practicing those, what he's training in, uh, at the highest level, starting games. But I think that training is invaluable. And he's got all the time in the world. He's got all the yeah. potential. So I think it, it would be helpful if he's patient um, because that, that could also become a disaster. You go to a team, you know, that, that maybe doesn't play the football that you like or you, a, a, a different amount of factors. Uh, with regards to Harry Wilson, I think he's done fantastically well at on loan at Hull. Personally, I'd give him another season on loan. Give you know, give him a whole season on loan. Don't don't put the pressure of him having to come back. And you know, uh, because with our fans, with the way we've seen how he's played on loan, the expectations are going to be ridiculously high for him coming into next season. So I think maybe just temper that a little bit. Maybe if uh, if you're looking to maybe try loan him in the Premier League this time around, just to see if he can handle that level. With regards to Grujic, Grujic has done really well at Cardiff uh, over the last six months. He was nominated for their young player of the season, even though he's been there for only six months. So credit to him. I think he's a crucial player in the squad next season. We've seen how we've fallen short a bit in midfield these last six months where he's been away. I'm sure he would have gotten a few minutes then. So I do think, and Klopp does rate him quite well. Interestingly enough, Buvic is the one that actually recommended we sign him. So whether uh, Buvic leaving um, might have a factor on on how Grigic is viewed, I guess we'll see next season. Um, some of the other young players, Bull Brewster could be an interesting one. You know, there have been rumours of well, him wanting stays, to... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if he stays, there have been rumours of him, you know, making noise in Germany. But I think that's more down to his uh, his agent, unfortunately. If you look at his his father, he's a Liverpool fan. Brewster's a Liverpool fan. Um, so you'd imagine they'd want to stay. But if you look at his agent, his agent sort of is the same agent as Reese Oxford, who is in Germany, uh, on loan in Germany. And funny enough, that loan hasn't really gone well for him. But anyway, um, he's in Germany at the moment, whereas we would have wanted probably as, you know, as English football to have a Reese Oxford playing in the English Premier League, you know, developing there. And then if you also look at this, the boy that City lost to Dortmund, uh, Jadon Sanchez, um, the young forward, he, he was at Man City, same, um, the same agent. I, I can't remember his name for the life of me, but he pushed for a move t- for him to go to Germany and, Yes, he's gotten a, quite a, quite a few minutes recently over the last few, uh, about two, three months or so. But once again, it wasn't all rosy for him there. It was only when this new manager sort of came in, that's when he started getting a footing in. So, um, whether it's going to mean Brewster has to change agents or whether he keeps him, but we get to keep him. I really hope that we do get to keep him. We shouldn't be losing any of our young players, more specifically any of our English young players. We should be looking to try and hold on to him. Um, I think the rumours of him being part of the first team next season, I think that was just for us trying to get him to sign a new contract. Uh, I would, I, it would be a wait and see for me in terms of would he really get the opportunities for the first team. Once again, he's about 16, 17 or so. So he's still young. I think he just needs to be patient. His time will come. And um, with regards to the other French players, look, the guys that are out on loan at the moment, I think I think we can agree that most of them are going to get sold, if not all of them are, uh, well, they're on the transfer list to be sold. We can't forget about the likes of Bogdan. I don't know what's going to happen with him. Quite a lot of deadwood that is going to be moved to, to make space for players that, what I'm hoping is players that Klopp trusts, because we've seen a lot that Klopp won't play players that he doesn't trust. So I'm just hoping that... He gets in all the players that he wants to get in. It might not necessarily be the first player on his list, but maybe the third or fourth, uh, let's say if he's got a striker's list of four players, as long as he gets one of those players on that list, then at least we know he's going to trust that player and that player is going to play. That's it's going to be really interesting what we do next season. I think Klopp would love for a couple of a couple of these youth players to get into the team because he just you know he wants that dedication that. Uh, feeling of of being part of something, of being some being part of something bigger than yourself. He likes that coming through his players. So um, I would certainly love it if a couple of these guys came through and uh, and and we managed to keep hold of them. There seems to be a good crop of players coming up. So yeah, hopefully we do keep keep hold of one or two of them at least. 
All right, guys, I think that's everything from us. Uh, it's just been a really, really interesting discussion. That's a huge thanks to you both for joining me. I'm going to let you do some plugs now. Uh, Kieran, I'll let you go first. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Kieran Maguire. I run the priceoffootball.com site uh, because uh, I, I lecture in, uh, in football finance at University of Liverpool. So come on down and see what's happening to all the money uh, where it's going, where it's coming from, and so on. Yeah, yeah, and I'll definitely, um, definitely recommend that everybody give Kieran a follow. He has some really amazing tweets uh, and very informative tweets when it comes to that that sort of stuff. Um, and just in general, follow a Brighton fan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, for you, Tadiwa? My podcast or air podcast of the week, I think, goes to the Desi pod. I'm not of Indian descent at all, and... You know, although on the podcast they do speak, you know, some of the Indian languages, they, they do very well in translating for some of us that don't understand. But funny enough, I think I've probably listened to every single one of the podcasts they've had because it's such a fun podcast. They seem to have fun. They sing, you know, they throw curveballs at each other. So this week it was Gags. It was, you know, Gags Tandon. It was Harinda Singh. I don't know if I can call him Paji. Um, Maybe that might be a mate's thing to do. Um, then Nina Kauzel was also on it, as well as Tony. And they were speaking with regards to the Champions League final, you know, trying to get gags to, to Kiev, which I think they've managed to do, which is, which is awesome news. And it, it's just a fun, loving podcast. And thanks to them, I can never now, you know, watch Emre Chan play and, and not sing that Emre Chan song they always sing. <laughs> And it, it, it's so catchy that they come up with some really, really good catchy songs. And it's just a fun podcast to listen to. So it was the, the AI Desi podcast was called God Passport Need Ticket. And I think that was a reference to Gags trying to get to, to Kiev for the final. So check that one out. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Brilliant podcast. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. It has been a wonderful ride again. A very, very good footballing year. We've seen another just interesting set of fixtures. It's been a hell of a ride, but we've seen a lot of improvement. Do keep it locked on to AI because we will have contact for you in the off season that I can guarantee you. As always, have a look at AI Pro. There is a, a couple of very good promotions on that running on the subscriber side. So if that's something that you can be tempted on, you know, do give it a go. Ha- have a look and uh, and become a subscriber. Some excellent podcasts as well on that side, obviously. And that is all from us. Thank you so much for joining us. Huge thanks to my guests this week, as always. I think a special shout out to all the guests I've had, especially the opposition fans over the season. We will obviously be in touch on the off season, like I said, with uh, with a couple of other face off podcasts. So yeah, keep an eye on for that. And until we see you again, take very good care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? Podcast Network.